Good morning and good Monday, everybody. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Slate of Affairs. As you know, Slate of Affairs is a podcast dedicated to critical conversations about pop culture and politics, lived and in color by black and brown voices. This week, we're talking about baby boy Biden and Miss Kamala Harris. But first, let's get into what's happening. Here at Slate of Affairs, we like to start with something light before we do the heavy lifting. This is a segment in which we highlight the happy and the headlines. This is What's Happening. Blake, what's happening with you? What's happening for me is not only Black excellence this week, but it's Thai excellence as well. My favorite power couple out here, Chrissy Teigen and John Legend, have announced they are expecting their third child. Now listen, call me biased, but I just feel like this family has such a special place in my heart. Um, because unlike most celebrity couples out here, I just feel like they're so genuine. Mm. I don't see them putting out a front for the masses, and I just love the way that they love each other. Confession number 1,000. 689. My partner and I aspire to be like John and Chrissy, so I stand. Y'all are on your way there. Let me just say that. But I love the candidness that she brings to her social media. Chrissy and John, they hold a place in my heart. I love them. I'm super excited for this third baby. They make such cute babies, too. They really do. She's so hilarious, Chrissy Teigen. And the fact that she hates Trump makes me love her. And she's so vocal. <laughs> and she'll get in arguments with politicians on Twitter and I live for it. You know, Michelle Obama once said, uh, when they go low, we go high. And as a five foot three, a short little gay Latino man, that's difficult for me. And Chrissy <laughs> Teigen agrees. I just appreciate that. Sometimes name calling is necessary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It definitely is. Yes. Tati, what's happening with you? So the Venn diagram of pop culture and politics, that overlap in it lives Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez every single day. This week, she went to her Instagram story and she had just recently got some dental work done and she's blasting Bodak Yellow. She's bopping, she got her bag, she got her dental work and then uses this as a moment to outline how outrageous it is that she was not able to get this done until she became a congresswoman and how oftentimes dental care is seen as cosmetic even though it really does impact a lot of your health and it's not covered under general health insurance so she's (laughs) using this platform to talk about some serious issues regarding health care regarding the privilege that comes with accessing dental care all while blasting Cardi B, right? Then Cardi B sees it, responds, and is like, she needs to run for president when she turns 35. And then Alexandra responds with women against patriarchy in parentheses, WAP. And I was like, this is giving me life. Yes, I saw, I mean, the fact that I even thought that I could reserve that for category is Tati. I knew that you were going to come out the (laughs) gate with it. I knew it spoke to your spirit before it even came on IG. Listen, AOC is so brilliant in taking legitimate issues that we have and relating it to the masses. I think that's how she landed in the position that she's in. And honestly, I'm going to argue that that's how Cardi B became who she is. Again, relating to the masses. And so these two women caping for each other, endorsing each other. I love to see it. That's so awesome. Daniel, what's happening with you this week? Uh, There is quite a lot happening this week. I wanted to lend some acknowledgement to some important individuals. For those protesting in Chicago, I see you. 
For those counter-protesting white nationalists in Kalamazoo, Michigan, I see you. For those protesting at the door of the Postmaster General's apartment in D.C., I see you and stamp that bitch out. Moving on, there is also a lot that is making me happy this week. Shaka Khan, medieval wine windows, but most importantly, ice cream jingles. The ice cream truck song that we are all familiar with has a racist past, so Wu-Tang Clan's RZA wrote a new one. Wu-Tang Clan founder RZA is putting the good in good humor, partnering with the sweet vendor to create a new ice cream truck jingle as a free alternative to the well-known and problematic tune, Turkey in the Straw. The rapper-producer unveiled the catchy new song Thursday morning in a video acknowledging the racist history of the song, which has long been associated with minstrel shows and racist imagery. The track's cheery ethereal melody and distinct rhythm define a new ice cream jingle for a new era. I think that's really cool. No, it's amazing. And for all those out there wondering who RZA is, yes, he's talking about RZA from Wu-Tang. Um, I stand. Listen. Oh, is it RZA? It is RZA. That's who SZA named herself after. Shut the hell up. Hold on. I'm going back and doing that whole thing. (laughs) Read as an acronym. Uh -uh. If they were RZA, there would be dots in between. But you want to know what? I appreciate you for the effort. Yes. And mentioning Wu-Tang Clan and all of that. Period. That is important. He's My father is going to be so now. upset at me. We keeping that. We keeping it authentic. <laughs> no, but I absolutely, I appreciate that he took it and we reclaimed yet another thing that was used against us. So I stand for that as well. I'm very happy about that reclaiming. Um, next step, arrest the police officers who killed Breonna Taylor. I'm very happy about all these little things that do happen, but I just don't want the masses to think that because these little things are happening that we're done or that the fight is even close to being finished. We still have a lot to do. And that's my two cents on that. Work is not done, y'all. All right, for all our listeners out there with the entrepreneurial spirit, securing the bag for themselves, their community, or their credit score, we would love to hear from you. Yes, that's right, you. We want to collaborate, whether that is a sponsorship, whether that's ads. So please don't hesitate to reach out to us at they came, they saw, they spoke it at gmail.com to line up your ad today. On August 11th, 2020, Senator Kamala Harris was announced to be the vice presidential nominee pick running alongside Joe Biden. This is a historical moment in U.S. history as she is the first African-American woman and the first woman of South Asian descent to run on a major party ticket for vice president. Friends, we all know that this has been a long journey that this ticket may not have been necessarily what everybody was wanting. And we might all have opinions and criticisms, but at the end of the day, we will support this ticket. We will fight to replace the Trump-Pence administration. And more important than that, we will acknowledge that facts will override bigotry and the massage noir that we are going to see moving forward. So I want to know where you guys stand. How do you guys feel about this? And do you believe confidently that this is the ticket that is going to beat Trump and get him out of the White House? So foremost, I just want to say what we're not going to do, and this isn't just specific to this episode, but also when we are discussing the nuance involved with this ticket, we're not going to lean into anti-Blackness. We're not going to question Kamala Harris's Blackness. We are not going to lean into misogyny or sexism. 
and we are definitely not going to lean into the baseless birtherism conspiracy that is being touted by the president right now. Now, back to the question. Do I believe personally that this is the ticket to beat President Trump? On paper, absolutely. But we're not operating in just a paper field here. The Trump administration is leaning into every single thing that they have in their arsenal in order to discredit the legitimacy of this election. So we are fighting against that. I thoroughly believe that this ticket is qualified, but the, the ticket is not just mm -hmm. the issue. Yeah, y'all. Um, so listen, your boy has been doing much <laughs> reflection, contemplation, meditation, because I'm trying to figure out why I'm so disenchanted with this election as opposed to 2016 being a little bit more engaged, right? And if I look at it, the two candidates for the general election, I didn't align with either candidate a hundred percent, right? It's certainly not Trump. And Hillary certainly didn't carry all of the sentiments that I would want her to carry as a candidate. Yet, I just felt so much more passionate about that election than I do with this one. And quite honestly, I'm still trying to figure out why. I think as of 20 seconds ago, the best answer that I can think of is vantage point, right? I think that we have to realize that Trump is the reason that we're looking at this from the vantage point in which we are. We are in a very, very dark place. And I think quite literally all of our lives outside of those who look like Trump are at stake, right? So I think that we have to really just be hopeful that we have two candidates that are more than qualified to do this position. Yes, their past are checkered, but I think at the end of the day, both of them are willing to make amends with their past. Mm -hmm. Whereas if we look at Trump, he still has not reflected on what he's done in the past, nor is he, he able to He hasn't even reflected what it. he's done in his presidency. So. Exactly. You know what I mean? I feel you. I think I first need to say that the DNC really fucked up big time. Because in 2016, when Trump won, there should have been immediately, okay, we cannot let this guy win a second term. So what are we going to do to solidify a solid candidate, pushing that candidate so that we can get large support? And instead, up until a year ago, we had 20 candidates running for the primaries. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that is ridiculous. Yeah. When you have a president like Trump who can literally do anything and won't lose supporters, yeah. a lot of us understand that... There is more at stake than just our personal beliefs. And I understand that as much as I would like a much more progressive candidate, I'm okay with a more moderate candidate right now because that more moderate candidate can get those votes in those Midwestern states that I don't think necessarily a very progressive candidate could get. And that could make the difference between another four years of Trump or not. You know, I, both of you bring up fantastic points. You know, Blake, specifically, when you're talking about just how this moment feels. And I think what it is, is it really feels like burnout. You know, a year ago, we literally went from a Democratic primary with 20 plus candidates. And then we, <laughs> the pandemic happened. And it's just, we're here now in, in August. And you kind of just feel so burned out that you can't really get excited, feel excited at all. Mm -hmm. Now, 
with that being said, this ticket believes in science. This ticket believes that this pandemic is real and it is affecting everyday Americans and it has led to an economic collapse, that it has led to mass unemployment. This ticket believes in the science that's associated with the climate change that is currently happening. Despite where we've been this past year, guess what? It is better than the Trump administration. Actively right now, people are dying. People are being harmed. The eviction moratorium is expiring in states across this country. Uh, boost in unemployment has expired. People are essentially waiting for the Senate to come back from recess now in order to figure something out. The stakes are too dire to where I can let my personal opinions establish me as a non-voter. We're not going to do that. That's not the option. Mm -hmm. No, most definitely. I think it's, and honestly, Blake may be throwing himself under the bus right now, but I very early on I can't pinpoint it, but sometime last year, I had made the very distinct decision that if Biden were to run, I would go with him. Again, not for the fact that I align with Biden because he is moderate. And although I do regard myself as a progressive, I was willing to revert back to a moderate stance because I knew what was at stake for this election. And if that meant setting aside my ideals, like Tati said, and saying that, you know, this utopia that I'm uh, yearning for has to be placed on the back burner for the moment because there are larger things that are at play right now. And so it's it's a little sad to me that I made this decision, you know, to go for Biden very early on and settle for the moderate stance. And yet again, I'm still not as invigorated or passionate as I would like to be. And I think it's going to be a very, very authentic journey for all of us these next 12 weeks and just rallying ourselves up because we have to know that again, we have one party who is for science. We have one party who is sane. We have one party who acknowledges that we have injustices and that we have inequalities. And we have another party who is doing everything in their power to ensure that the white man stays on top. And that's just the truth of the matter. So it's more so just who's going to give us the best shot here? Who can we work with the best? And right now it's this ticket. It's Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And and it is, in a sense, I think it is slightly naive, and this is me calling myself naive, to believe that we can go from one extreme to the other so fast. Yeah. I think that there does need to be steps taken in between. It's not going to happen overnight, and it's not going to happen from one election to the next. Really what it is is that the Trump presidency has set us back because we're not where we were in 2016, when we were coming off of the Obama administration, which was a more moderate administration, mm -hmm. where we could then go from that to then start moving towards more progressive policies. Mm -hmm. So we are not going to be able to make that switch over. It's going to be a journey. And I am okay to be on that journey. What I will say is that because I'm sure that a lot of people come from the same perspective who are listening. And I was reaching this week to find someone to explain it in the best way that they could in order to reckon with my feelings. If I do want to reference an Instagram post from a uh, trans advocate, Raquel Willis, uh, she says, representation without accountability is dangerous. Our collective fight in this moment requires a deeper version of leadership than we previously experienced. 
In a time when the people are discussing defunding the police and abolition more widely than ever before, let's see how this plays out. Our fight for liberation continues, and we won't reach it without being critical. There will be a lot to think about over these next few months, but let's remember that our goal should never be returning to the status quo systems. Accountability is key, no matter who is in that highest office. Yeah. And and that's the thing. I think accountability is a big thing. I, for one, believe that every single government employee is accountable not to a party, not to their colleagues, but to their constituents right. and to their people. And I think that that Senator Harris and Vice President Joe Biden, they can do that and they can be that. I, I, I hope they can. And the reason why I, I think that is because they were really big rivals during the primaries. Insert clip of busing. <laughs> she was very vocal in calling out Vice President Biden on things. And I think that's important for you to have that as your vice president. It's a different perspective than what we see in the White House right now, where it's like, I am not going to call President Trump out on anything. I don't see that happening with Biden or Harris at any point in their administration. I think that they've given us indications that they would be receptive to criticism or to conversation about policy. No, most definitely. And we see these mm -hmm. two candidates, Senator Kamala Harris and Vice President Biden. And yes, their past are very checkered. But I think the difference with them is we see a level of not only accountability, but I think we see a level of flexibility, of malleability, right, where they're willing to bend and wave in certain aspects that we don't get from the other party. And I think that's so important because, again, Yes, these people had stances that we don't agree with now, but here's the gag. I feel like the climate in which they were, the climate that they were in when they made those decisions in the past, for the most part, okay, for the most part, mm -hmm. I feel like the temperature that they gave matched the climate that we were in. Mm -hmm. And I say that because it's very important because the climate now has changed. But if they match the temperature of the climate in the 90s, in the early 2000s, I see that same energy now being matched in today's time. I remember in 2016 when I voted. And again, I, in 2016, I was with you, Daniel. I voted for oh, Bernie Sanders that. in the primaries. Mm -hmm. I was excited to vote for Bernie. And I remember the day of the election. I went to go cast my vote. I was so yeah. emotional about it. I remember feeling like, Today, I get to vote and I get to be part of history. I get to be part of voting for the first female president. And I remember Daniel and I sitting in his bed, watching the results coming in and realizing it wasn't going to go our way. And like the swing from the beginning of the day being so happy to the end of the day. And I don't ever think I've gotten that excitement about politics back or yeah. about about elections back because yeah. Trump winning was such a shock. I feel like that's part of the reason why I've had a hard time being as excited about this election process as I was in 2016, because I had, there was no part of me in 2016 that thought we would be here today. And yeah. we are, it's hard to get super excited because as much as I want to be like, we're going to get this asshole out of the white house. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think like ever since that happened, like, cause I remember that day pretty vividly, PTSD. It's really just feel, it feels as 
to be kind of religious in tone, it feels as though the veil has been lifted. That idea of wokeness, where you have awakened yourself to this deeper understanding of things that are happening in the world and how bleak things can become. I think after that day, I just looked at the world differently. And then I started mm -hmm. to invest myself in educating myself about the political process and about what all this meant and the things that were taking place underneath this administration. And like, I operate under the mentality of you hope for the best and you expect the worst. Um, just these days, I don't put much stock in hope. I just don't. Objectively speaking, like I said in the beginning of the episode, we have a great ticket on paper, but I'm not sure if paper's enough. It's crazy that you said there was, you know, that religious undertone for you because I was in New Testament and we were in the book of Revelations talking about the Antichrist, mm. literally when the election happened. And it was very surreal, very surreal. And I remember even these conservative ass Christians who all voted for Trump yep. looking almost as though like, Oh, fuck. Well, did, did we just usher in? Basically, what we want all of our listeners to know is vote. I mean, as people of color, our ancestors fought for our right to do this and fought for our right to be represented politically and under a Trump administration, that will not happen. So I just... I need people to turn out in numbers and recognize that it is bigger than just you. It is bigger than just one person. It is so important that we are part of this process. And I've seen these viral tweets, Facebook posts, Instagram posts, or whatever that have said, if voting wasn't important, they wouldn't be trying so hard to get you to not vote. You know, in that same in that same in that same right though, it bothers me significantly that we have this two-party system in place where essentially they are forcing our hand to vote for this party. We are here right now not just because of the actions of the Republican party, but also like you mentioned previously Tatiana, the actions of the Democratic party as well. And yes. so we are in this position and it feels as though I'm having my hand forced where it's like, well, this is your best option. You just have to go for it. And it's like, well, fuck. Like, I don't feel inspired at all here. And we know good and goddamn well, people don't vote against things. People vote for things. Mm -hmm. And it feels, and this is kind of why I'm a little skeptical about the results of this election and, and uncertain where it's going to go, is because a lot of people just don't feel like they're voting for something. They feel as though they're voting against something. Remember, in the Democratic primaries, what was the issue? The, the biggest issue, who's the most electable? Who's most likely to beat Trump? Had nothing to do with policy, had nothing to do with political changes and what movements are we making? How are we pushing the pen forward? That wasn't the topic of discussion. Wasn't climate change, wasn't a women's rights, wasn't LGBTQ rights, wasn't racial injustices. What was the most important issue? Who is most electable? And yep. that, in that, the, the Democratic Party did a disservice to all of their constituents, all of the members of the Democratic Party, because they put who is the best Who's most likely to beat Trump instead of pushing the issues and educating their fucking party? Yeah, 100%. Y'all, we still haven't resolved Russian interference in an election. Oh, we have not. And that 
Oh, Fred, you bringing up. That's a whole other look. Girl, we got to end it now. We're calling it. All right, we're calling it. And and on that note, category is... Y'all know we don't only keep it real when it comes to politics. We keep it real with all things in the headline, which brings us to our last segment. The category is Tati Mamas. What category are you walking for us? Category is white boy. Logan Lerman and Asa Butterfield are set to star in College Republicans as Lee Atwater and Carl Rove. The film is described as a coming-of-age story about top Republican operatives. We don't need more coming-of-age stories about white people, but we especially don't need more coming-of-age stories about Republicans. It's like coming into their racism, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the moment they realize that they um, were superior to women and people of color. Yeah, the moment that they realize that they're uh, fiscally conservative, I guess. I don't fucking know. Like, girl, get <laughs> fuck off. Who? Who? I'm so disappointed in Logan Lerman. No, I've heard that name, but I'm disappointed. He was in Perks of Being a Wallflower. <laughs> fuck him. <laughs> I'm disappointed. I'm very... Uh, it's like every time we get a white boy that we're like, this might be our white boy. They always do some shit I like know. this. Timothy Chalamet, Ezra Miller, Logan uh, Lerman. I don't want to talk about Ezra Miller. That's the, I'm still mad about it. <laughs> Daniel, what category are you walking? All right. So the category is Ice Princess. The rumor has it Shia LaBeouf is being, this is about white boys. The, the rumor <laughs> has it Shia LaBeouf is being eyed to play Iceman in future Marvel Comics Universe projects. There's someone out there who is hankering for it. Enter Colton Haynes. Iceman is one of the OG X-Men characters created by comic book legend Stan Lee in 1963. Now, y'all know I'm a comic book nerd, um, but most recently, Bobby has been portrayed as a gay man, and in a groundbreaking 2017 issue of the all-new X-Men, Bobby finally got to kiss his romantic partner. As a result, many have called for the actor who portrays him to also be queer. Now, Colton Haynes has come out in 2016 and has already had experience in playing a superhero in the DC series Arrow. But here's the thing. One, I, I need somebody gay to play this. I just do. The hands down. Mm -hmm. And then two, why he got to be white? Why he got to be white? I, I was thinking that too. I, I'm glad that I was, because I was thinking to myself like, yes, I definitely think that the person who plays this role should be gay. But I'm like, Colton Haynes, like the typical uh, beautiful yeah. white, boy. white boy and it's, it's funny because colton haynes reminds me of this tweet that i sent to daniel the other day that literally said sometimes white gays are straight men who are gay if that makes sense and, it does. and that to me is colton haynes so y'all i mean i don't know where your boy's been but i feel like i'm like daniel for the white people who's colton haynes <laughs> who is that unimportant Here's the thing. Not important. Okay. I do, like, but listen, let me say this, though. As a queer queen and an X-Men stan, I absolutely agree that Iceman should be played by, you know, someone on our team. I'm here for it. Also, Shia LaBeouf, is, he just came out of the woodwork. Shia LaBeouf will be the Scarlett Johansson of the 2020s. I am calling it now. Don't put my man Shia LaBeouf in that category, Star okay? Girl. <laughs> Until he does it. All right. So, Blake, what category are you walking? The category is Kim K's lesser half. 
Kanye West gave a belated shout out to Kamala Harris, but he made it a point to ensure that he will not vote for her. Now, Ye just tweeted the following. I know my mom and Kamala Harris would have been friends. Congratulations on being the Democratic vice president nominee. All love and respect from the future president. It's an honor to run against you. He he done done Taylor Swifted Kamala Harris. He, that's what he did. He Taylor Swifted Kamala Harris, y'all. And don't tell me that Henny is to blame on that. Henny thing is not possible. Tati, what category are you walking? The category is democracy. Arizona Senator Martha McSally claimed on Tuesday that Senate Democrats would move to pass statehood bills for the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico should they retake control of the chamber in November. She also went on to say... <laughs> That if D.C. and Puerto Rico become states, the GOP will never get the Senate back again. What does that tell you? Yep. It is so sad that we have gotten to the point where not only are these bitches cheating, but they're now saying, I have to cheat. Like, we're not telling them. They're telling us. Y'all make it make sense. Daniel, what category you walk in? All right. So the category is Flaming Hot Chicos. Uh, If you can't stand the heat, well, there's nothing you can do about it. The heat wave that began Friday in California may rival the deadly seven-day heat event on July 2006, the National Weather Service said. Blackouts aren't reserved just for Tuesdays anymore, y'all. The body that runs the electric grid for most of California declared a statewide stage three emergency Friday evening for the first time since 2001 due to the excessive heat driving up electricity use and ordered utilities to implement power disruption programs. Here's the thing. It's getting hot. We're recording this on a Saturday. And guess what, y'all? You're hearing it on a Monday. It's going to be hot this entire week. I'm coming to you right now with your weather service. Stay inside. Put your temperatures at 78. Drink water. Drink water. Stay hydrated. And then protect your pets. Put them inside, y'all. When the power went out on Friday, I remember I immediately looked at my grandma. I was like, you pay the bill? (laughs) I cannot. Listen, Megan has been telling all the girls out here that it's heating up for the past, what, year and a half? So if y'all didn't get the memo. I don't find it to be ironic whatsoever that WAP came out. And now all of a sudden, the weather's just way too hot, right? Mm. Them hot girls said, we rise in this temperature just a little bit. Climate change has nothing to do with it, y'all. It's wild. But Blake, what category are you walking? The category is USPS. That's right. The Postal Service is out here picking up drop boxes like it's trash day on Thursday. Now, in response to the growing public concerns about voter suppression, including President Trump's continued attacks on mail-in voting, the United States Postal Service said it will finally postpone its plan to remove or relocate mail collection bins. Have y'all seen the pictures? Please tell me you I have. have saw yeah, the I've seen the pictures. I did. On Twitter. Is this legal? Like, is this legal? I need somebody out there, if you are listening to this and you know the answer to that, to please message us because I'm trying to understand the like legal rationale. I'm just so lost. I'm so lost too. I think that the USPS is saying that because they don't have enough volume to retain those boxes, that's the reason they're pulling it. But I just feel like if they take our mailboxes, then we fucking up the Lululemons. That's it. I'm coming for the gap. (laughs) (laughs) Not the gap. And on that note, we have to leave because we look so damn good coming back. For all our listeners out there, we thank you for tuning in once again to the Slate of Affairs. Don't forget to show us love and review us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and drop us a comment or three on IG at Slate of Affairs Pod or on Twitter at Slate of affairs. We'll see you all again next Monday. Bye. Bye, y'all. Bye. All right. 
Cool. Good. Cool. Good job. Perfect. Look at that. And under an hour. Thank God.